0: Well, I almost usurped the offering there. I was talking to Adriana just now, and I said, you know, we've already been through one service, you'd think you'd know when to come up. So I apologize, Sarah, but I got stopped before I, I did that. Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good, well, we just got finished Christmas, and uh, there, my wife, on the music she plays on the radio for Christmas, uh, sometimes Dean Martin sings, and he sings that song where he's a duet, duet with somebody else, and uh, he says, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> well, it is. I may have heard that. Uh, I'm from Denver, so it gets down to zero at night, three or four degrees, uh, but by ten, eleven o'clock, the sun's out. We're at sixty-two hundred feet where I live, above sea level. Sun comes out, and you can sit down on your deck and have a cup of coffee or, or a soda or whatever you want, uh, and it's nice. Dawn said it was. Uh, my wife said it was sixty-five degrees yesterday. So uh, that's Denver. It doesn't. It this doesn't do the same thing here, does it? <laughs> no. Well. Um, I'm here filling in for John Duncan, our executive director of Foundation for the Nations. I serve as board chair, as Larry told you, and uh, Simon is one of my colleagues on the board. So I'm enjoying getting to travel with Simon. I bring you greetings from John. He would dearly have loved to be with you this morning. Uh, John and uh, Maisie's eldest daughter, Sarah, is disabled and needs respite care when John travels. A staff member at the facility where Sarah goes uh, was exposed to someone with COVID last week, and the the facility had to shut down for 30 days. Uh, You know, Sarah, she is disabled, and so uh, you have to you have to be careful with our vulnerable folks. So I understand. I had some plans change. I was supposed to be out of the country at this time, but had some plans change. So John asked if I would fill in for Simon this weekend and here I am. So I asked John what he was preaching on and he told me, "Why do bad things happen to good people?" He told me I could speak on a different topic if I wanted. But uh, he had already told the church what he was speaking on, and they were planning on that, so here we go. Tackling a topic that has been discussed for thousands of years, shoot, in the entire entire book of Job, one of the earliest books in the Bible is written on this very subject with no really specific answers. I read through the Bible each year, and uh, Job is one of my favorite books. There's some incredible questions and statements in the first 37 chapters, and a couple that we'll refer to this morning. However, I've got to admit that one of the reasons I love this book so much is just to get to chapter 40, where God says, where were you? Can you just hear that? Yep, uh, it takes a couple of chapters for Job to answer that question, but when he does answer, it's quite profound. He says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. The last words of Job in chapter 42, verse 6, says, therefore, Job says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for this time here with Mission Covenant Church. Lord, you know I I don't have a lot of specific answers to this age-old question. So I simply request your presence with us this morning and that you'll speak to us through your word. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Those who know me well know that I talk a lot about my grandfather, my dad's dad. Grandpop was recognized as a genius in the construction industry. He was a leader and helped develop the whole prefabrication industry in the 30s and the 40s. He taught me all I know about construction management. Grandpop was also a Gideon. You know, the folks who distribute Bibles all around the world. In 1968, he was asked to direct all the Gideon work in Central and South America. And he did that. On the side, in addition to his regular work for the next 13 years. With all his abilities, Grandpop was just not a very good public speaker. And he knew that. However, being a Gideon, he was asked to speak a lot. That being said, his model was to include much scripture and let God's word speak for itself. So you're going to hear lots of scripture this morning. So our problem... Why do bad things happen to good people? My answer is simply, I don't know. And I'm not sure Job ever figured it out. As I said earlier, that question is as old as the ages. Bad things happen to everyone. And the severity is all over the map. Why did you lose that loved one way too soon? Why did you get cancer? Why am I being treated unfairly at work? Why am I out of work? Why aren't my kids following Jesus? Moms and dads, if I asked you to raise your hand, that's just a tough one. What did I do to deserve this? How many times have you heard that or said it for yourself? Well, I can tell you one thing we learned from Job, and that's to not even try to come up with an answer for that one. I can't think of a worse response for someone grieving or struggling with a significant challenge in their lives. Now, we've all had a bit of an issue with unity, these days. That's not especially new, but it seems with COVID and the political environment, it's, it's kind of worse now. My guess is you've all dealt with this, at least on some level, in your families, community, and maybe even here in your church, as we have in ours. So let's start this morning with a question, and it's not rhetorical. rhetorical. I'm going to ask for a response from you all. This is a question. How many of you consider yourselves perfect? Hmm. Did you hear the question? Well, let me, okay, let me phrase it another way. How many of you are not perfect? Oh, we have unity. Okay, well, let's start from that unified position. One of our former YSC USA Uh, National Director Jay Kessler used to say it like this. The problem with this world is just that people aren't any damn good. Now, I used a bit of rough language, but that actually describes it pretty well. As I read scripture, and especially in our passage this morning, I think I see a problem with the problem. So let's see what the Bible says about this. And Sarah's already read it. We'll start in Ephesians and we'll start with verse 1. As for you, we read, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now, now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, it says, also lived among them at one time, craving, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's God's wrath because a holy God cannot look upon sin. So it appears that Scripture might just uh, agree with Jay or the other way around. All of us at one time lived to satisfy our sinful nature. That sinful nature started all the way back in the garden with Adam and Eve in their rebellion to God's commands. And it continued with Cain and Abel all through Scripture. There are references to it. Psalms 14.3 says, All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul talks about this in Romans 3, 9. What shall we conclude then, he says? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. You say, no, I can't be that bad. I go to church. I give money away. I try my best to live a good life. Well, if you're going to put yourself and your works on the table, then you're reverting to the law as your judge. And you just might want to think again about that. On January 20, rock musician Meatloaf died. Did you hear about that? Anybody like Meatloaf here? There you go, all the way in the back. I did too. I actually like uh, actually I, I, I like him a lot. And one of his songs is called Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. And I, as I said, I like that song. And Meatloaf performed it with great drama and passion. But then we read in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in just one point, is guilty of all of it. You see, two out of three ain't bad in baseball and a meatloaf song. But it absolutely does not work for God, even if we are very passionate about it. Even Job thoroughly understood this truth and asked what some say is the greatest question in the universe. That's found in Job chapter 9, verse 2, where he asked, But how can a mortal be righteous before God? And I might add, that's a question that each of us has to answer as well. So do you get my point? There are no good people. Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if that's not indictment enough, it gets even worse. Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is death. Paul in desperation fairly screams in Romans chapter 7 verse 24, "What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death?" Oh, church, it's not a pretty sight. You know it. You see it every day that you live in your work and in the environment. Our condition before God is indeed hopeless. How can a mortal man or woman be righteous before God? Scripture says we, none of us is good. We all deserve bad things, even death. Is there an answer? Does God have a plan to rescue and redeem his fallen creation? Let's read on in verse 4. But, wait a second. Even though we all deserve bad things and even death, all might not be lost. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. You didn't ask for it. Nothing you can do. Jesus provided It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 5.8 says the same thing like this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even Job, in the midst of his deep suffering, had at least some concept of this, and he exclaimed in Job 19, verse 25, I know my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. In 1 Corinthians 2 23, Paul boils this whole good dilemma down to just two words Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. My trade is a carpenter, and I've had on-the-job training from my grandfather in construction project management. I tutored under and was mentored by the best there was. That's how I've made my living for the past 50 years with a 12-year hiatus from, or from 1999 till 2011, following Larry as a director of USA's Project Serve. I'm pretty black and white and a pragmatic guy. I used to tell the architects that if you can draw it, I can build it. it the, the, the drawings gave me a picture of what I was to build. So how many of you remember the four spiritual laws? There we go. we got a few of us. We're dating ourselves, aren't we, with, with that one? So that, remember that was a picture of a man and God with a picture of a cross in between. So the cross was our way to God. So I found a diagram that shows what we've been talking about and actually continues to diagram our scripture passages this morning. There it is up up on the screen. In this simple diagram, you see four lines. The top horizontal line represents God's righteousness. The bottom line, man's sinfulness. The vertical line from points one to two represent Christ crucified. Our justification and actually the answer to Job's question, how can a mortal be righteous before God? Now let's start reading again in in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So the vertical line could illustrate the cross. When we realize and confess our self inflicted sinful state and ask Jesus to come into our lives and save us, at that point, point number one, at that point, God raises us up with Christ and we can stand before a holy and righteous God. Through Christ our sins forgiven. At that point we are positionally as close to God as we will ever be. However, there's another line on that diagram. It's a diagonal line. It goes from point 1 to point 3. Can we get that diagram? Well, let's leave this up for now. Let's move on to verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, even though Christ's death on the cross redeemed us from our sinful nature so we can stand before a holy God through Jesus Christ, our state of being is not there yet. At the point of our conversion and acceptance of God's gift, he sets us apart on this diagonal line that you see. Which then, when intersecting with the top line, shows when our state of being will conform to our standing. It becomes the same thing. This happens at death or when Jesus returns. And it's at this point, number one, down in the bottom left-hand corner, that there can be some confusion. We're no longer on the path of man's sinfulness. We're set apart to follow God's plan for our life. We call this sanctification. However, our state of being is still rooted in this sin-sick world, and we have to continue to live in a sinful environment. We're still affected by sin, sickness, wars, politics, disunity, the virus, and the list goes on and on. Actually, everything that sinful man has to deal with, we still have to deal with. Satan's influence is certainly alive and well in our current state of being. Now, I'd like to take a closer look at this and the bottom lines. Both diagram our state of being in this world as we know it. Remember I was talking about reading construction plans? In every set of construction plans, there is a, uh, a, a page for details... When there's something on the main plan the draft person wants to detail, they draw a circle around that area, and it refers to the detail page. If we were to do that on this diagram, the detail would show significant ups and downs, and maybe even sometimes going around in circles, not a straight line. And that's the story of our lives, isn't it? Ups and downs. Things just don't work out like we anticipate or want them to work out. It's not an easy path by any means. Both lines show living in a fallen world. As a believer, we're not freed from the struggles of this world. But we are freed from the bondage to those struggles. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are going through. As though something strange were happening to you but rejoice that you are participating in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Jesus himself says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And there... It's there that we see the difference in the two lines. Jesus says, you can have peace. I have overcome the world. Again, in 1 Peter 5, 16, we read, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. The bottom line shows the path of an unbeliever trying to handle life in their own way and tracking towards a Christless eternity. The diagonal line shows the believer continuing to walk in this world, but with Jesus walking with them. Molding, forming, protecting, consoling, loving and caring for us all along the way. Just like a father's love, only so much greater than an earthly father can give. In Psalms 31, 7, we read, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles, and you care about the anguish of my soul. Have you ever hurt so deeply it just aches in your inner parts? That's what he's talking about. In Psalm 23, we read, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. <laughs> One of my favorite, most reassuring passages of Scripture is found in Romans chapter 8. Some call it Paul's grand persuasion. It reads, Who shall separate us from the love of God, Christ? nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) So yes, bad things do happen even to godly people. I won't even begin to try to tell you why. I don't understand everything about God. But I will tell you it's a result of this fallen world in which we live. Another thing my grandfather told me, and I've told my children, and all those have worked for me down through the years. Pop said, son, our actions are very important. However, it's our reactions that people remember. In other words, as Christians, are we modeling a different way of handling life's challenges than the world does? We have to remember that at our point of justification, that point number one that you saw in the diagram, at that point of justification, God sets us up on a unique journey of sanctification. No other person walks the exact journey that we walk. This journey has purpose both for us and for the world. We grow in what the Father wants us to be, and we show the world That we can do everything through him who gives us strength. And we read that in Philippians 4.13. Can I tell you just one more story as I close? John and Maisie Duncan are not only dear friends of Larry and Gail and Simon and myself. They're also heroes to Dawn and me. And I'll go out on a limb and say to the Williams and Marriott's as well. I've already mentioned that John would have dearly loved to be with us here this morning and speak on, on this topic himself. He's well qualified. Their oldest daughter, Sarah, is severely disabled. Sarah turned 43 just a few weeks ago. She's totally dependent on John and Maisie in every single area of her life. She's in the form you see permanently, and she, and can, she can only move her hand and her head. Sarah can't talk, but she can communicate. A movement of her hand is yes. A flick of her head is no. She's got a terrific personality. And you know for sure when she's happy or sad, I'm there at least uh, every couple years, um, at least twice a year. When she hears me coming, she howls with delight. When she hears her daddy coming home, she just about shakes the rafters. The worldview would express sadness for John and Maisie that they have to deal with this. But it's just not so. God has redeemed what society might have called a tragedy, might call a tragedy. And if you sat in the living room and watched Sarah nuzzle herself in her father's rough beard and saw John and Maisie care for her, you'd see the incredible incomparable love of a mother and father for their daughter. I look on it as a model of how God loves me, warts and all. A few years ago, John told me, David, we've made a transition. We believe we need Sarah more than she needs us. Church, we serve a loving, redeeming God. So yes, bad things do happen to God's people. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know the depth of your sorrow or depression or challenge. I don't even know your questions, but I do know that Jesus died for you and desperately wants to walk with you, maybe sometimes even carry you through life's journey so you can spend eternity with him. No, I don't have all the answers, but I know nothing can separate us from God's love. No, I don't have all the answers, but this I do know. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Stand and sing with me. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Sing it. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so.